0: Hello and thank you for joining me here on The Business of Ag. I'm your host Damian Mason. We talk about issues that impact food, fuel, fiber, your involvement in that business because obviously we want you to get ahead. We want you to know what's going on. I deliver some commentary and thoughts about the business of agriculture. So thank you for joining me. Today we're going to cover Five things that agriculture does really well and five things that, in my opinion, agriculture does not do well. I mean, let's face it, you want to get better, you've got to take a look at yourself with a critical eye, every part of your business, every part of what you do and say, man, did I do as well as I could? What could I improve on? How could I be better? So that's what we're going to talk about here today. Five things that North American agriculture does right and five things we do wrong. So without much further ado, and again, I do thank you all for joining me here on this very topic. Again, we talk about the business of agriculture. We know that you are in the business of agriculture and you care. Now then, five things we do right, five things we do wrong. I'm going to start off with one thing that we do really, really well, and that, of course, is production. You know, I'm 48 years old. When I was a kid, they had this whole... Uh, concept, if you will, that we are going to run out of food. I mean, you know, and granted, we've been doing this for a long time with children. Hey, make sure you eat your peas. There are starving children in Africa. The reality is, from a standpoint of production, we are marvelous. I mean, we absolutely are amazing. Uh, the average North American farmer uh, feeds about 170 people. I think we're up to 155 to 170, depending on which year it is or which the yields look like or or which stat you read. The point is, we're like three times more impact. Uh, I'm sorry, more efficient at production than we were just 20, 30 years ago. The point I always make. Let's talk about milk. I was raised on a dairy farm. In the 1980s, it was a big deal when we crossed the 50 pounds of milk per cow per day threshold, that was a big thing. A guy like my dad who was raised as a herdsman milking cows for other people. Uh, he, he knew a lot about dairy. He would, he'd been around his whole entire life. He couldn't believe that we got to that point. Well, guess what? I do business with a large dairy operation. They rent some of my ground. I sell them a little bit of hay. They're at 86 pounds of milk per cow per day. So what are we talking? 40% up from just where we were 30 years ago. We do an amazing job. We should give ourselves a hand. Give yourself a hand. And actually, it's the scientists and, and the technological innovation that has allowed this to happen. We are amazing at our production. A couple of things I always tell everybody. In the last 20 years, just in the last two decades, our global population has gone up a billion and a half. We're at about 7.4 billion people right now on Earth. During that time that we gained a billion and a half people, We took the starving number, the people that are chronically hungry, from 1 billion down to 800 million. So think about that. We really grabbed a billion and a half new people and we got rid of 200,000 less starving hungry people. Why? Because of our productive capacity. We are amazing at production and we should give ourselves a hand. Here's that. That's something we do right. We're just really, really good at it. Now here's what we do wrong. Because we're so darn productive, we still are a little bit as an industry stuck in the old days with what I'll call a commodity mindset. Now you can say, oh, well, Damien, we grow commodities. That's what we do true story corn soybeans wheat class 3 milk uh, you know canola name it it's a commodity but there's a difference between being a commodity producer and having a commodity mindset the issue that i would take with commodity mindset is when you are a commodity mindset you just think every day what can i do to produce more and how can i sell it for less grew up in the dairy business i worked in a ceiling tile factory ceiling tiles Always kind of go to that thing where it's like, what's the bid price on this to get this construction job? It's a commodity. And then, of course, I worked in the lighting business. As much as we tried to pretend that the Halo H7 ICT was so remarkably different from the competitors made by Juno or Prescalite or Progress or whatever the other companies were, a commodity product. So, a commodity mindset is damaging in that you just think, okay, what can I do to make more of something and then sell it for cheaper? That's not really where we want to be. In North American agriculture right now, we have a more affluent demographic in our customer base than we've ever had. Think about what that customer looks like. They can spend $21 billion a year on plastic bottles of water. Remember, folks, water is free. So when you look at it from that angle, we don't need to keep thinking that it's gotta be how cheap can we put our food out there and this commodity mindset. We've got a customer base that's willing to pay remarkable amounts of money to feel good and we should give them that. Remember, Chipotle sells food with integrity and a side of E. coli. (laughs) I'll pause for your laugh. But the reality is they created this whole idea that they're selling something that's not just a Taco Bell burrito for 99 cents because it makes them feel good. So commodity mindset is something we gotta get away from and keep giving the value added, some new thing that makes people feel good. Cage-free eggs were never about were never about eggs being better. They were about the feeling. So commodity mindset, we gotta get away from that because we have a consumer, and, and I'm talking about Canada, talking about the United States, much of South America, uh, certainly not Venezuela. Uh, we're talking about a wealthy consumer that that's in uh, in Western Europe. We're talking about a wealthy consumer that occupies Australia. So we really need to get away from commodity mindset and think more about value-added. Number two, something that we do right, that we do an amazing job of in agriculture is innovation. That's, of course, what I talked about the production. Look at what we do from an innovative standpoint. Oh, sure, the people that don't understand food. Oh, I'm against GMOs. Oh, my goodness, GMOs are killing me. No, they're not. Genetically modified organisms are one hell of an advancement. I tell everybody that tells me, Hey, what's about those GMOs? I think I'm against them. I say, great, come out to my farm on the hottest day in July. I'm gonna give you a hoe and I'm gonna start you at one end of the soybean field. And By the time you get to the fence row at the other end of the field, you're gonna love GMOs. I watched soybean fields as a kid. I know how hard it was to get rid of weeds. You know, you go out there, you drive over that field. Back in the old days, just think about this on soybean production. You'd drive over the field to plow it. You would disc it sometimes twice, then run a field cultivator over it, and then you'd plant it. Then you'd go back and spray. Then you would also go back, people that don't like GMOs don't realize that, that we were using chemicals long before there were genetically modified organisms. Some of these people are so ag-ignorant, if you will, they think, oh, it means chemicals. We've always used chemicals, folks, since the 1930s. Here's the thing. We're using less diesel, going over that ground less times, doing less soil compaction, less damage to the ground through our amazing innovation. We are using less natural resources. We are preserving more natural resources because of innovation, not to mention the yields and then also the availability of products. Think about this, dear consumer. You have more plentyful food options and variety of food options than you've ever had. You should applaud your food choice rather than protesting your food feelings. I tell people that all the time. Innovation we're really, really good at. Something we're not so good at. one thing I'd say agriculture here in North America does poorly. and that of course is our communication. We keep saying we've got to educate our consumers. I mean, I go to these farm meetings. That's how I make a living. I go to agricultural functions all over North America, and I'm a paid talker at these things. And a lot of times I'll have a breakout session where they say, you know what we need to do is you need to educate our consumer. Here's the thing. I've got no problem with educating the consumer, but we're the only industry that wrongly believes that educating our consumer is the only problem we have. At Ford Motor Company, do you think they worry about educating the consumer the way we do? At Apple Computer, do you think they say, gosh, we've got to educate our consumer? I think education is fine, but we must understand our consumers sometimes don't want to be educated. I don't think they care. They care about themselves and their feelings and their families and their finances and their houses and their video games and their Facebook posts, but they probably don't care as much about how you grow cranberries. That's the tough part. Uh, The other thing that we do from a communication standpoint is we a lot of times get... Uh, our own science and economic message put in there, and we don't realize that our consumers don't really care about that either. They don't even understand it. From a communication standpoint, I believe that we, agriculture, talk over their heads. We talk about food production, we talk about the science, the economics behind it, and it's really a little bit too involved for much of our consumer base. Not being mean, not picking on them, but let's face it, I raised more food calories, I produced more calories for human consumption, by age 12 than the average suburbanite with an herb garden and three backyard hens will for the rest of their life. We get food production, but we talk about it sometimes in a vernacular that's very interesting to us, very understandable to us, but completely over the heads of our consumers. So it's one thing we do wrong. Going back to things we do right, that the industry, North American agriculture, I'm talking as the industry, something we do right, we are really good at conservation. We are amazing at conservation. We still have some room for improvement. We still have a little bit of erosion. It'd be nice if we didn't have gullies out there. It'd be great if there weren't sedimentation going into the creeks that go into the rivers that go into the Mississippi, that go into the Delta down in the Gulf of Mexico. It would be good if we had even better conservation, but by golly, we've come a long, long way. You know, I wasn't soil judging. I loved agronomy. I just couldn't become an agronomist because it's too much science. I'm an agricultural economics major. I used to really have a thing about erosion. I mean, I, I just decided that was going to be my thing. When I was in high school, I said, I'm going to be an agronomist and it's going to be my thing to save the world from erosion because soil is our most precious asset in the business of agriculture. What do you own that's worth more than soil? Nothing. You got six inches, 12 inches, 24 inches, depending on where you are. People in Illinois, seven feet of it. Lucky, lucky Illinois people. Anyway, here's the thing. I'm talking about central Illinois, of course, because we know there's parts of Illinois that are not good. But anyway, I do digress. We need to do a better job of conservation, but man, we're doing a really good job with it now because we've got a lot of soil uh, areas that are uh, tolerable, that we're not losing much soil off them. We're doing a great job of protecting our streams. The buffer strip program with CRP, thank you very much, USDA, NRCS, FSA, done a heck of a job with that. So I think we still have a little room for improvement and it's gonna get better all along, but we've done a heck of a lot on conservation. When people say, I wish it was like the old days, I wish agriculture was like it was back in the old days, I always point out, you mean the beautiful old days, the, the wholesome old days of agriculture? Yes. And I show a picture of the Dust Bowl. Not very wholesome. What's for dinner tonight, Daddy? Sand. We're eating sand, kids. So we do a good job of conservation. What do we do wrong? Okay. I just talked about it on communication and commodity mindset, but I'm going to harp on it again. We still do something wrong in North American agriculture, I believe. We still carry on trying to sell the cheap food story. I make this point in my speeches. I'll make this point again. I'll tell you it over and over and over. As I just pointed out a little while ago, a consumer base here in the United States that spends $21 billion on plastic bottles of water, water-free, is probably not motivated by cheap food. Now, they'll give lip service to it. They'll say, I go to Aldi because it's 25 cents cheaper to get my bananas there. Oh, I really, really care about food prices. Oh, I've got to feed my family. Sure, and I'm sensitive to that. I didn't come from a bunch of anything. Goodness sakes, nine kids on a railroad clerk's salary and a small dairy farm. I get food pricing. I get the need to be in a more, so I say, efficient manner when you go to the grocery store, but I'm going to tell you that the upper half of our consumers, here in North America, we have people that have country club memberships that spend a premium on things like Toyota Priuses just so they can prove that they care more. We don't really need to be pushing the cheap food story. Essentially, I believe we have two customer bases. The business of agriculture, certainly here in affluent countries like United States or Canada. We have the customers that want to buy their their food for their filling and their finances. And we have the people that want to buy food. Their motivation is their feelings and their perspective. Stop telling the cheap food story. Farm Bureau is tremendously guilty of this. If you sit at one of their meetings long enough, they'll tell you that we only spend eight or 10%, whatever it is, of our Discretionary income here in the United States on food, and I'm saying I think that was a great story in the 1950s. I think it's past its prime. It's the year 2017 right now. I don't think cheap food is motivation like it once was. Certainly not for the movers and the shakers, the opinion leaders, the people that write their congressmen, that sign protests and petition outside of Whole Foods. Those people are not motivated by cheap food. All right. By the way, I'm Damian Mason. You're joining me here on The Business of Ag, where we talk about issues that impact the business of food, fuel, and fiber. You're an agricultural professional. That's why you're tuning in, and I thank you very much for it. You can find me, my stuff, my podcast, my videos. You can book me for a speaking engagement at DamianMason.com. That's d a m i a n Mason, like a bricklayer.com, DamienMason.com. You can find all my stuff. Connect with me on Twitter, at Damien P. Mason. You can see all the crazies that fight with me. You're just a shill for factory food production. Oh, it's funny. And then they type in capital letters and they put exclamation points, and that proves to me that they're really angry. (laughs) Uh, Keep up with me on Facebook also. That's Damien Mason Professional Speaker. Uh, I'd like you to like my page, even if you don't like me. Like my page. Keep up with me. And then, of course, LinkedIn, where all the professionals hang out, talk about agricultural business stuff over there. So thanks for joining me on the business of ag. I'm talking today about the five things that ag does right and the five things that agriculture does wrong. I just covered points three and three. Now let's go back to something that agriculture does right. I'm going to talk about accumulation of money. You know, ag people are really, really frugal. We, we did have some bad times there in the 80s, but that was a, a market condition issue. Yeah, we were over leveraged in many regards, but you know, 18% interest and an absolute plummeting, uh, a plummeting uh, commodity base, we really went through some tough times. But when you look at the farm people and agricultural people tend to be kind of conservative, tend to be the kind of people that save their money, tend to be the kind of people that wanna keep an asset back, and maybe give it to their, their son, their daughter, so they can have a farm. Isn't that great? Because that's something that's lost on most of America. I just read this article, it was just a couple weeks ago, in the Wall Street Journal. Do you realize that right now the savings rate in the United States is hovering around three and a half percent? A little over three percent of our money that we're actually saving and keeping back? That's terrible. No wonder these people are... Did you see the thing a year ago? That over half of America doesn't have $500. If their car were to break down, they need 500 bucks just to to be able to get to work, they don't have $500 laying around. The average I mean, think of it, over half of America. You're saying, oh, Damon, you're being mean to poor people. No, I'm telling you, usually poorness is a result of poor choices, okay? You probably don't need a bunch of NASCAR per- per- car paraphernalia. You probably don't need a lot of things you've convinced yourself you do, including premium cable television or all kinds of fancy fancy gadgets and gadgets and cars that you can't afford the payments on but to make you look fancy when you pull into your parking spot at work. Ag people, conservative people, really good at accumulating money, they have good financial habits. That's something we do right. Something we do wrong, I think we fight poorly here in agriculture. And I'm going to call you all out on the rug on this. I I make this point again and again and again, but I'm going to keep making this point. Agriculture, here's what you need to realize. You don't fight with science. You don't fight with economics. You don't fight with stuff that people don't comprehend and some people get mad at me, but look at the National Rifle Association. They are under scrutiny every day of their existence. They only represent three and a half to five million people, depending on which NRA membership reading you do. They say it's more than, than, than five million, and of course their detractors say it's only a few million. Regardless, doesn't matter. The NRA, for such a small membership that's under scrutiny every day, and in the media every day, goes toe-to-toe with their detractors. And how do they do it? They do not use science. They do not use economics. They might quote a stat about gun violence, but they really go with emotion, self-interest, patriotism. Hey, do you remember how your grandpa took you hunting every Thanksgiving? They wanna take that right away from you. That's emotion. Why don't we do that about Thanksgiving dinner? There are people like the Humane Society of the United States, people for the ethical treatment of animals. They wanna make it so you can't cook a turkey for your family. They want you to not even have the right, the choice to get a turkey and feed your family on Thanksgiving. That's emotion, that's patriotism, that's self-interest right there. Why don't we go with that? You know, patriotism sells. Right now we've got North Korea uh, rattling their cage. Why don't we just say, hey, we need food security as a country more than ever because, trust me, they taught me. They taught me in history. We never really won a war the United States. We just outproduced the competition. Why don't we use that as our lead-off You want security, you want to have a strong nation, you need to back us up as the country that can produce more food than any other country. That's what we're good at. And I'm talking about Canada, I'm talking about Western Europe, I'm talking about anybody that's listening to this podcast right now. We all should use the patriotism, the self-interest, and the emotion on how we fight our battles. Those things appeal to people. Patriotism, self-interest, and emotion, not science and economics. Okay, talking about the five things agriculture does right and the five things agriculture does poorly. Number four thing, I'm sorry, number five thing that agriculture does right. You know what? We're good with family. We are a family-oriented industry as much as anything. The average consumer still loves to hear that we are family farms, that 98% or 95%, whatever the stat is, are family-owned farms. Sure, they're set up as corporations or LLCs, but the point is... The point is, we are still a very family-oriented industry, and, and I, I'm there with you. I mean, I, I bought the family farm. I, I go over there uh, to where I was raised. My, my ties are there. We are really, really a, a last bastion, if you will, in America that still values family, and I'm all for it, and I can't applaud the good people of agriculture enough that we are the kind of people that this country was founded on that we're supposed to be. We are family-oriented people. One thing that we do poorly, the fifth thing, if you will, that we do poorly, we sometimes forget that it's not about us. I already talked about educating the consumer and some of these other misnomers. One thing that really I think we get wrong, we say things like, "Now no, no, we don't do it as much as we used to. Thank goodness. If you fed your kid today, thank a farmer. Now, let's be honest. This is our business. Do we really need thanked for doing our job? I mean, sure, sometimes I get it. Alabama played their 40-hour week song 30 years ago. Love, Alabama, by the way. Saw them in concerts at the Indiana State Fair when I was 17. You know what I remember mostly about that? I remember they released that song, and the whole idea was feel good, you know, for the waitress and for the the guys bringing in the load, and and the the people behind the scene. And you know what bothered me? I read a farm magazine that came about the uh, the month after that song was released, and of course this person had to do that exact same thing that I just get too sick of hearing, where it was. Hey, Alabama, and I can't remember who the columnist was, probably my motivation to become an ag person and ag speaker and columnist myself. Hey, Alabama, I've heard your song 40-Hour Week, and, and I noticed that you said that farmers... Put a 40-hour week in. Well, let me just tell you, you know recording studios, but Alabama, you might know about producing hit singles, but you don't know anything about farming, because most farmers have their 40 hours in by noon on Wednesday. Oh, BS. Come on, American agriculture. Please get over this whole thing. Telling everybody that you work a 100 hours a week while you're sitting in a cafe eating pie and drinking coffee is not working. Okay? Get off of it. So I'd like us as an industry to stop thinking about us. As some sort of martyrs, and instead just realize, hey, this is our business. Uh, and, and I'm really proud of our roots here. And yeah, we are a family business. And yeah, we do produce a great crop of blueberries or corn or beef or whatever it is we're into. But let's not continually think that it's about us because without our consumers, there's no need for us. As I routinely tell my audience, uh, they say things like, uh, oh, well, you know, you're lucky in agriculture, your you're working for yourself, you're self employed. I get that myself. Uh, they say that to me. I don't work for myself, I work for you. I work for the people who pay me, just like we all work for other people. Every dollar you're gonna make the rest of your life, as the great Earl Nightingale, motivational speaker from the old 1930s used to say, every dollar you're going to earn the rest of your life, is currently in someone else's pocket. So bear that in mind. So let's not stop let's not stop being hardworking, good, honest people, family people, accumulating our money, doing the things we do right. But let's also realize it's not about us, it's about our consumers, because without our consumers, there's no need for us. I'm Damian Mason. Thank you very much for joining me here on my podcast, where we talk about the business of agriculture. This is the business of ag a podcast with me, Damian Mason. You can find me at DamianMason.com. You can join me here again on this very podcast. I hope you do connect with me all over social media. Keep up with my stuff. I love to, I love to talk about the business of food, fuel, and fiber. And that's what we do here all the time. Five things agriculture does right. Five things I think agriculture does wrong. Production, innovation, conservation, accumulation of money, and family ties. That's five things we're really good at. Five things we really need to improve on. Get over our commodity mindset. Learn to communicate speaking the vernacular of our consumer more than our vernacular. Cheap food does not sell. Stop telling people how cheap their food is. We don't live in the 1950s anymore. We need to learn how to fight. Remember, use emotion, patriotism, and self-interest. And again, let's remember that Our consumers are important. It's not about us. It's about them because this is a consumer business like every business is. Thank you. We are going to close out now. The Damien Mason podcast is completed. Thank you for joining me. Come back again. We'll talk about the business of ag.